You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Thank you, Betsy, for reading that for us this morning. As Betsy said, we are continuing in Malachi, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you haven't already. We're in Malachi chapter 2, and Stan started off last week talking through Malachi, and, and so if you weren't here last week, if you're new with us, first of all, my name's Luke. Um, again, welcome. I'm one of the pastors on staff. But if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go online, check out the, the website, and uh, listen to listen to how Stan started things off, because one of the things that Stan talked about last week in the beginning of Malachi is we see God kind of bringing charges against his people. And, and we see that's kind of, it, it's almost like a courtroom setting where, where God starts off and he says, you, you, you didn't love me. And the people were saying, well, how do we love you? And then the people say, well, you haven't loved us. And God's like, no, this is, this is how I love you. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. You, you've loved us. And then, again, he flips the script. And what we see this morning in Malachi chapter 2 is God continues to bring charges against his people. And, and the main thing that he says here is he says the, the charge that he brings against his people is he says, you don't give honor to my name. You, you don't stand in fear of my name. Now, I don't know about you, but, but there are times where I feel like the, the idea or the concept of fearing the Lord and, and like the Lord, it seems like fear and the Lord are sometimes like incongruent, like they don't they don't mix. And, and yet we see throughout Scripture that it talks about fearing the Lord, right? Um, I have it up on the screen. Proverbs nine ten says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight." The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Isn't the question like, what? Why should we fear God? Like, isn't isn't God love? Right? Isn't God uh, like that uh, guy with the long beard and like the like this kind of silly grandpa that kind of lets you get away with things with a with a wink and a nod, you know? Where it's like, oh, you better not take that candy, like my parents do with my kids, you know? It's like, oh, you took it, oh you, you know? It's like, how, why? It, it says the fear, but what what are we doing? And yet, in that passage, in this passage that we're going to look at, it talks about standing in awe. Of God's name. Now, we're awe. I was looking at the definition of some of these words that, that we're awe, that it, the definition of a, is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. That This, this word awe is where we get the word awesome. And, and awesome is something that's extremely impressive or daunting, inspiring awe. And I, I mean, if you're like me, we have stripped the word awesome from all of its meaning because, like, last night I was on my way home, my, my wife went hunting. Yes, my wife went hunting uh, last night. You can, and she got one, and that was awesome. Uh, I was on my way home from, from Kirksville. I, I went through the drive-thru at McDonald's and ordered, I don't know, number two, and they're like, yeah, that'll be at the window. I was like, awesome. Like, really? Awesome? A number two, like two McDonald's cheeseburgers that, that are, in, I mean, those McDonald's fries are good. Are they awe-inspiring, mixed with wonder and fear? Like that, that word awe, it's the same root word for awful. Right? It's, it's, both words are these, it's this idea of like, I, 
and recognizing what I'm standing in front of, and, and, and if I'm not careful, like if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm not in alignment with this thing, like if I don't treat it correctly, then, then I am undone. Fearing something, like have you, have you ever become too familiar with something that you should fear or have awe of? I remember when, when I was a kid, me and my cousin, all, most of my stories where I get in trouble happen with me and my cousin. That's the way they start out. And, and my cousin and I, we were, we were exploring my grandpa's shed. And growing up around here, Missouri, my grandpa used to have just a bunch of junk um, out in, in his yard, in, in their yard. They didn't have a lot of money, just a bunch of junk. And he had this, he had this like trailer home. Uh, in his backyard filled with junk. And then he had the shed next to the trailer home filled with junk with a workshop. And, and so my cousin and I, we were exploring uh, his shed, and we found a bunch of gasoline. And so we decided, you know what would be fun? Right? Yeah, you know where this is going. You know what would be fun? It would be fun to see what would happen if we light some of this gasoline on fire. So we got a coffee can, and we filled it up with gas, and, and we decided to, to lay a strip of it down on the ground. Because you can't just throw a match into a can of gasoline. That would be... That would be dumb, right? That would be irresponsible. So we laid a strip of it down on the ground, and and uh, my, my, I was standing back. Usually the way it worked was I had the idea, and my cousin carried it out. <laughs> and so my cousin, he, he struck a match, he threw it down into the gasoline, and I thought it was going to be like a firecracker, you know, like, like boom, bright flash, and then it goes out. I now know gasoline doesn't burn that way. And, and also what we didn't what we didn't realize at the time was that the ground was black with years and years. I, I don't know if it was oil or if it was coal or what was on the ground. Uh, but, and, and also what we didn't kind of take into consideration was that we laid this strip down in between the trailer and the shop because we didn't want to do it out in the open because we knew we'd get in trouble. And so we figured we'd do it in this space that was a little protected. And so when this lights up, I'm just standing back in awe. Fear, <laughs> reverence of what we did. My cousin, though, he knew we were in trouble, and so what he started doing was he started trying to stomp the fire out. But then the, the gasoline must have got on his shoes because then his shoes caught on fire, and, and I, again, I'm standing back. And, and he started jumping through these piles of junk trying to get to the hose on the spigot. Finally, he gets to the hose, he gets it put out. Again, I'm no help, I'm just standing back. He has no hair on his legs, his eyebrows are gone. <laughs> From that time on, though, I'm like, okay, fire. We don't play with fire. We don't mess with that. You see, what I think we need to understand from this passage this morning as we go through this, that Betsy just read, is that we need to understand that we need to fear God rightly so that we follow Him rightly. Because if we fear the wrong things, we will begin to follow the wrong things. If we fear the wrong things, we begin to follow the wrong things. Let me, let me just break some of this down, what Bessie just read. Um, but, but before we do that, let's, let's pray. Can you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy and just who you are. And I pray, God, that you would, that you would speak through me here this morning. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to comprehend. And yeah, it's, it's in your name. Amen. So this morning, as we start out chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And now, O priest, this command is for you. So stop there. And now, O priest, this command is for you. What we see here is that this is a command, a very specific command given to a specific group of people. Okay, so, so we look at this and we say, okay, well, what does that have to do with us today, right? Because we don't have priests. I, I believe that as we read through the New Testament, we see this office of priest. It's done away with by Jesus. 
Because a priest, what a priest would do is a priest would take the people's sacrifice and he was the go-between between the people and God. And he would take the, the sacrifice and the blood of the sacrifice and he would take it in before God. And yet, what we see, especially in Hebrews, is that we have a great high priest in Jesus who has once, once and for all died and sacrificed his body and his blood so that we don't need a go-between anymore. We can have perfect relationship with God. Right? But, but what we do see it throughout, the, throughout the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, um, 1 Peter 2.9, we have it up there. 1 Peter 2.9 says, uh, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, this concept of the priesthood, it changes with Jesus. It changes. This was set up in Exodus, where in Exodus, as the people were coming out of Egypt and God was leading them into the promised land, he tells them, he says, look, I'm going to set you apart. You're going to be a nation of priests for me, like, a, like an island of light and a sea of darkness. People all around are going to look to you and they're going to see what it looks like for people to truly know me. They're going to look to you, and they're going to see people who follow me, who fear me correctly, who have a right understanding of what it means to honor me. And that is continued in 1 Peter, where Peter is talking to the, the new church, people who have received Jesus, who walk in understanding, who, who, who claim to know God. He said, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. See, that is, that is us. If you're in here this morning, whether this is your first time, whether you're just visiting, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is a command and a warning for you this morning. That we would be aware of this. So, so what is the command? What is the warning? He goes on, he says, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send this curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. He says, first of all, you need to, you need to lay it to heart. This idea of laying it to heart, it's not an emotional thing. It's actually translated literally to determine a course of action in response to one's knowledge or awareness of something. So it's, it's this idea of, okay, I know this about this thing, so that's going to determine my course. It's going to determine my actions. And he said, the thing that I want you to take to heart, people, new church who, who now knows God, the thing that I want you to take to heart is what? He says, to give honor to my name. That idea of honor, I, I love the, the kind of the word picture that it paints. I'm a very visual person. I have an extremely overactive imagination. And, and the idea of honor is this idea of giving weight it's when, when you give honor to something, you are giving weight to that thing. And so he said, what you need to take to heart, what you need to, to, to determine your course against is, is giving weight and honor to what? To my name. And the idea of the name of God, it's like the fame of God. It's like the reputation of God. It's like everything that makes up God, everything that makes God, God. He says, that's, that's what you give weight to. That's what you give honor to. It's, it's the same as, I, I was watching a movie um, this past week, and, uh, I don't know, King Arthur or something like that, and they were talking about, we, we come in the name of the king, we fight in the name of, have you ever heard this? Okay, many of you have never watched movies, that's okay. It's probably not a bad thing, right? 
What are they saying? They're saying we come in the authority and the power under, under the subjection of the king who is over us. And yet what we see in this, in this book of Malachi, this messenger of God, in, in chapter 1, verse 6, that, that stands like the last week, God says this, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise my name. He says, instead of giving me honor... Instead of giving me weight, you're despising my name. Stan talked about last week that, that idea of despising something that's like a Mizzou fan looking at a, a, a Jayhawk fan, right? It's like, ugh, why would anybody be that? But, but even beyond that, that idea of despising something, it's this, it's this concept of seeing it as insignificant or worthless. See, God says, you're not giving weight to my name. In fact, you're seeing it as insignificant. You're seeing my reputation, my power, everything I am. You're seeing me as worthless. It's like, it's like when, when I was a kid, I remember we, we would always put our Christmas tree up day after Thanksgiving because putting your Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving is simple. That's in the Bible somewhere, I know. But, and so we would put the Christmas tree up, and then right after we would put the tree up, my, my mom would start putting gifts under the tree. Like, we didn't wait till Christmas Eve. She would put gifts under the tree. It was kind of cruel and unusual punishment because, because on a weekly, if not daily, seemed like a daily basis, what, what we kids would do is we would, we would section off all our gifts, and then we would shake them off. And my dad was like, oh, what do you think it is? You know, and he would, he would kind of be leading the charge. And, and, and so we, one year, there was a huge gift under the tree. For each of us kids, there was a huge gift under the tree, this massive box. And for like an 11-year-old, that's, I mean, a box like this big, that's big. That's like life-size, right? And so I can remember shaking that box like every day, thinking like, what could be in here? Like my mind was just racing with, with all of the things and the glories and the, the majesty of what could be in this box. And I remember Christmas morning, getting up, my mom let me open that present first. And usually she never let us open the best presents first. That, those were always like later on. That should have tipped me off, right? That, but I was too enamored with the size of the present. So I tear into it. And I open it up and I'm so excited. I open up the box and it's luggage. Right? I mean, luggage now, I'm like, oh, look, that would be a good gift. But for an 11-year-old, right, all my Christmas hopes and dreams were, were in this box and it's luggage. And yet I, 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 I give lip service to it because I'm like, oh, look, this is great. Oh, thanks. You know, because I knew my mom had taught me if you don't act like you're appreciative, then you don't get gifts after that. So it's like, oh, thanks, mom. I can go next, you know, because it's like, let's just push this to the side. I, I, let's, let's just get, let's get beyond this. Let's, let's give this a little bit of lip service because surely there's something better. See, that's what they were doing with God. They were, they were pushing it aside. They were, they were, you know, saying, oh yeah, that's great, but it doesn't have any bearing on the rest of our lives. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, let's, let's push that aside, but isn't there, there's, there's got to be more here. They're treating as insignificant, and yet the command for people who, who know God and who trust him and who say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, he's saying, you need to give proper weight to my name, who I am, my power, my authority over you, and yet you're not taking it to heart. You're not, you're not allowing it to affect your day-to-day, -day, and so I'm bringing a curse on you. 
says, it's, I'm going to curse your offspring. It's not just with you. This is a ripple effect. And, and then what's he say after that? In verse 3, behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. You want to know what God views people who treat his, his name and his fame and everything he is as insignificant? You want to know what God thinks about that? He just said that he would rub poop on the faces of people who do this. That's crazy, right? Uh, am I the only one that reads that? It's like, did that really just, like when Betsy was reading it, it's like, wait, whoa, 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 wait a second. He just said he's going to rub poop on people. Like, you, you don't have to think about it too long to think about, like, a, a puppy, right? I, I, I'm a dog person. I love having dogs. I don't like puppies necessarily. I mean, they're cute, but they're a lot of work. And I don't know if this is a good training method, but I've heard people say it before, and so we've done it in the past. But when that little puppy poops on your floor, you take that little puppy's cute little face, right? <laughs> and you... <laughs> You put it in the poop. Why? And not, and not in a cruel, well, I mean, it's kind of cruel, but, but in a way that's, that's giving a message to that puppy, right? It's saying, no, 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 no. Poop on the floor, that's not good. We don't poop on the floor. We don't live with poop on the floor. Poop goes outside, right? And so it's kind of this idea, of, it's this message saying, this is not going to stand. Let's be really clear here. We're, we're not okay with this. I am not okay with this, see the idea behind the sacrifices, when people would bring sacrifices in, they, the priest would, would slaughter it and they would bring the blood, but there would be all this leftover stuff and there would be dung. I mean, it was a really messy thing. And so the, the Bible says, God t- tells them, gather all that stuff up, take it outside of the, of the camp and burn that. Because if you leave that in my house, it will desecrate my house. It will, it will bring um, uncleanness on, on my house. And he says, okay, what I'm gonna do with that I'm going to put your face in it because it is not okay for you to treat my name as insignificant. You should know me better than that. And and then he goes on. He says, all right, let's let's look at Levi. And he he begins to look at this guy named Levi. And what I want you to understand is is Levi was one of the sons, one of the 12 sons of of Jacob, who who then became the the 12 tribes of Israel. And from Levi, from his descendants, came the Levites. And from the Levites came the priests. And so what God is doing here is he's talking about this one man. He's referencing a group of people. These people who we see in Exodus, um, in Exodus 28, these people who, who God sets aside to be, again, this island in the midst of his chosen people, this people who are, who are going to lead his people in worship. And so he begins to talk about Levi, and he says, he says this about Levi in verse 4, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. You see, this this covenant of Levi, it's reestablished, and I believe one of the main things that he's talking about here in Malachi is he's referencing an account in Numbers chapter 25. And in Numbers 25, we see the, the people from, from the, the Israelite people are bring, being led out of Egypt. They're coming through the wilderness. They're going to the promised land. 
But on the way there, they begin to, they begin to take on the, the worship of people around them like the Moabites, and they begin to worship their gods, and, and they begin to, to say, you know what, we don't really want to be set apart. We, we, we just want to look like everybody else around us. We want to do what everybody else is doing. That looks a lot easier. That looks a lot more fun. And, and one of the main ways that this manifested itself was in, was in sexual uh, impurity. And people, were, people were, were doing all kinds of different things. And it kind of came to a crescendo in, in Numbers 25 where, where a son of one of the chiefs took, of Israel, one of the chiefs of Israel, one of the leaders of Israel, his son took one of the daughters of, of the, the Moabite chief and they came together and, and kind of boldly, brashly, with pride, marched through. It says that in, in the view of everybody around them, he took her into his tent and he slept with her in there. And while this is going on, it says that all the Israelites, they're weeping and they're crying because, because the people of God are being drawn away from God. They, they're stop, they, they've stopped fearing God and so they've stopped following God. But a man named Phineas gets up and he says, this, this is not okay. And he takes his spear and it says, it, he goes in and he kills them both. And that's really hard to read. Like, I'm not going to lie. That's, it's like, that seems harsh, right? And I don't think that's prescriptive. I don't think that's saying, hey, if you see people in sexual immorality, that you, you pick up a spear and you just start killing people. That's not, that's not what it's about, but it's descriptive in how we should treat the things of God. It says that this covenant was one of life and peace. It was fear. See, the Levi, Phineas, he said, no, I'm going to hold tight to the things of God. It talks about what he did, especially in that, in that place. It says, true instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. True instruction, it says that he held on to the things of God. When, when he talked, they were the things of God. And it wasn't just in his, in his speech, but it says, he walked with me in peace and uprightness. Like, it's this idea of security. When, when we fear God rightly and we follow him rightly, we can walk securely knowing God. And this is, that's what Phineas did. That's what Levi did. It was this idea of peace and uprightness. That, that word uprightness, it, it literally means like, like secure, like a level place. Like you're not, you're not shaking all over the place. You, you know where you're walking. You know where your foot is, is falling because, because you have a proper fear and focus on God. And, and it says the last thing that he did, he turned many from iniquity. He turned people away from their sin. In Numbers 25, because of everything that the, the people were doing and just how they were treating God's name like luggage on Christmas morning, because of what they were doing, God's anger and wrath was burning against his people, and people were dying. But Phineas took a stand, and he said, no, I'm going to hold tight to the things of God. And because he did what he did, the wrath of God subsided, and people were saved. He said, that's what it looks like to fear God. It wasn't because Phineas was, a, was an incredible person. It wasn't because he was special. It wasn't because Levi was special. It was because they had a proper fear of God, and so they followed God properly. You see that? It reminds me of when, when I got my driver's license. When I was a kid, I, I, I remember I had a fear of my father. And when I would get behind that wheel, a lot of my friends, like my cousin, right, throw him under the bus, you'll probably never meet him, so that's all right. But my cousin, he would, he would cut donuts 
at, at, like in the town square in Brashear, we didn't have any police like, in Brashear. So it was kind of Lord of the Flies a little bit. But it's like, um, like he would be cutting donuts and, and my dad would be like, where were you? And I was like, I wasn't doing that. Because the fear of my father, it brought everything else into line. Well, most things into line. I wasn't cutting donuts because I feared him. But you know what happened when I began to fear the approval of my friends? I began to give that more weight than the fear of my dad. You know what happened then? I began to do things that, that instead of being, being things that put me in line with my father, they put me in line with my friends like drinking and driving crazy and all these other things. And it led me on a path to destruction because when we stop fearing God, we stop following God. And that's a, it's a correct fear. That's, that's what we see here. He, he goes on to talk about what, what a priest should do. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction. See, it's this, it's this word picture of when, when things are under attack, when knowledge is under attack, what a priest does, what, what we do, when, when we say, well, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, what we do is when everybody else is going different ways, when everybody else is fighting for their happiness instead of God's holiness, we hold tight to the knowledge of God. We hold tight to who God is. And then he says, they should, a priest should, people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. People should seek instruction from their mouth. That instruction, it's like proper law. It's like, anybody ever remember, this dates me a little bit. Anybody remember calling like time and temp? Anybody? No, nobody knows. Yeah, few, yeah. there you go. Okay. When, I remember when I was a kid before, before getting ready for school, we used to call time and temp because we didn't have like smartphones. We'd call time and temp and they would tell us the time, which it's like, okay, I don't really need that. But they would also tell us the temperature for the day and they tell us the, the weather. You're like, wow, you are old. Yes, I'm older than I look. And, and so, so I remember when I would get ready Whatever time and temp said, that would, that would dictate like what I wore. It's this idea of true instruction was found in time and temp. And you know, it's like, okay, according to time and temp, if, am I going to wear shorts? Time and temp, what do you say? Okay, yes, I'm going to wear shorts today. See, what, what he's saying there is you who, who follow God correctly and fear God correctly, you should be a place where people can come to and say, okay, how should I live my life? What should I do? What does it look like to know, to know God? It says, but, in verse 8, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. You see, he's saying this is what it looks like to fear God. This is what it looks like to, to truly follow me. This is what you should do. You should be a place that guards knowledge when everybody else is going astray. You should be an island of light in the midst of of darkness. But this is what you're doing. He says three things. He says you've gone astray. You've you've gone off the path. You've, you've, You've gone out of the way. See, Levi says, he walked with me in peace and uprightness, that secure place. But you have left the, the secure foundation of who I am. You've stopped fearing me. You've stopped, you've stopped allowing the fear, the awe, the awesomeness of God to direct your path. And so then it leads directly into the second thing they did. It says, you've caused many to stumble by your instruction. I think it's interesting that they are still instructing people. 
Even though they don't have a foundation, even though they're, they're going off of, off of other things, they're still instructing people. Their lives were still instructing people even though it was in the wrong way. You see, our lives, guys, I want you to understand this, our lives every single day are sermons to those around us, aren't they? Have you ever been impacted by somebody who didn't know they impacted you? I have, absolutely. And I think that's scary. Because I've been impacted for good and I've been impacted by, for, for bad by people who probably will never know. Reminds me of what my dad used to tell me. He, he said, Luke, you know, you are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. And it's funny because I remember one time when uh, we, you know, my dad owned a, a salvage yard for many, many years and I was out there one time. It was also our house. So, you know, that's where we grew up. But, um, and I remember going out in the yard and my dad was yelling, and I said, dad, what's, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong with you today? He's like, what do you mean what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Everything's good. And it's like, really? Because you sound really angry and you're yelling. And, and he's like, oh, well, these guys are so blah, blah, blah. I said, Dad, you, you know, don't you, that, that you're the only Jesus that Larry will probably ever see? Isn't it fun when your kids turn things around like that on you? It's like, oh, whatever. You know? But it's true, isn't it? Our lives are leading people. The steps that we take, the, the way we view God, our lives are sermons for what that looks like to others around us. We're following people, whether it's our, whether it's our children, whether it's the, the students around you, whether it's people that you work with, you are leading people. And they're looking at you, and they're seeing how you treat God, what you think of God. See, inconsequential to your life, does, do, do you take it to heart? Because the, they're seeing that. The, the third thing it says that they, they did was they, they corrupted the covenant of Levi. They corrupted the covenant of Levi. See, Levi was supposed to be this, the, the priest was supposed to be the one who took the law of God and, and helped people live it out. He was supposed to be the, the one who guarded knowledge. He was supposed to be the time and temp for the people who would say, well, how should we live our lives? Well, this is how you live our lives because I have a focus on God. And yet it says they corrupted, and, and he fleshes this out a little more in verse 9. Where he says, and I, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. You see, what they did was they took their eyes off God and stopped fearing him and stopped standing in awe of him and giving weight to him. And they begin to instruct with partiality. They begin to do things like, like just tell people what they wanted to hear instead of what God wanted them to hear. They would look at people and they say, well, well, you're an important person. I want to gain favor with you, so I'm not going to say that anything's wrong with what you're doing. I don't want to rock the boat in this situation. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to stand apart. And what they did was they, they corrupted the covenant of Levi because they were supposed to be people who showed other people what it looked like to follow God correctly. They were supposed to be people who showed other people what it looked like to stand in awe of God, and yet they treated God like luggage on Christmas morning. See, this this section ends with God making his people small. Did you you catch that in verse 9? It says, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people. See, that word despised, again, it's the same word that God uses in chapter 1, verse 6, 
where they despised his name, and they, they sought to make his name small, and they sought to treat his name as, as unimportant. And see, what God is doing here is he's saying, no, you can't do that to me. I'm going to rub your face in them. That's not okay. You can't do that to me because I am the hurricane. I am the power. I am the creator. You, you don't get to do that, and yet we try and do that all the time. We try and make God small so that we can manage him. We try and make God small so that, so that we can feel like we're, we're bigger or we're in control. We try and make God small so that, so that we, can, we can control our own lives, so that we can give more weight to our happiness instead of his holiness. We try and make God small, and yet what God says here is he says, that doesn't work because I can't be made small. And the reality is, is that you are small, and if you bring yourself in opposition to me, you will not stand. You will be destroyed. You will be abased. You will be made despised. You will be made, you will be removed. And yet the beauty in this passage is that the gospel is there. The good news is there. See, that's not necessarily good news right? That's not necessarily good news. And yet what I see as good news is that we can have, like Levi, we can have a covenant of life and peace with God through Jesus Christ. You see, through Jesus Christ, it doesn't make, it doesn't make God like impotent. It doesn't take away his power. But through Jesus Christ, we are saved by God for God, by God. We're, we're saved from God's wrath by God's goodness, by his grace, it reminds me of uh, um, Stan, our, our head pastor, was talking about this story that uh, our friend Drew told him one time about, about how him and his, and, and this is from Stan through me, so a lot of the details are, might be completely made up, but here we go. So, I'll <laughs> just say that at the beginning, but, but he was talking about how him and his family, they were out on this walk. And around the corner came this dog, this just Goliath of a dog, come, came running at his family. Like, and, and have you ever been in that situation where it's like, oh man, this is going to be bad? And, and this dog came running, and all of a sudden, Drew's dad, as the dog ran at them, he ran at the dog. And this, his dad, who's usually kind of mild-mannered, kind of just pacifistic, like, he started running at the dog. And in my imagination, there's just this huge clash, like superhero movie, and, and, and Drew's dad begins to, to just beat the dog up. Well, I, I don't condone animal cruelty, right? But, but if a dog is coming after your family, like he just starts laying into the dog, and all of a sudden the dog realizes, oh, I have a hold of something that I don't want to have a hold of anymore. And the dog takes off running the other direction. And Drew said in that moment, he had never felt more afraid of his dad. As his dad, in my, okay, in my imagination, his dad kind of rises up like, you know, and just turns around, and I'm sure there was mist, and just comes walking like Captain America back to his family. He said, in that moment, I've never been more afraid of my dad, because I saw the power that my dad had. I saw the fact that my dad could destroy the wrong things, but he said, in that moment, I've never felt more loved by my dad. Because you see, the reality is, if Drew was on the dog's team, he's in trouble. 
Right? If, he's, if, he is, if he's on the, on the wrong side of this equation, he's in trouble. But the gospel, the good news is through Jesus Christ, he is the son of his father. Amen? He, he is in alignment with his dad. And so in the, in the midst of fear, in the midst of awe, there is this reality that we are loved by God through Jesus Christ. So that's the gospel. Do you see that? Hebrews, Hebrews says this, and uh, I, I have it up on the screen, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, skip forward, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, the reality is all throughout Scripture, the Bible says that God is going to humble the proud. In Jeremiah 4, 6 through 8, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Guys, when we have the proper fear in the proper place, and when we begin to follow God rightly, there's security there. There's peace there. It, it reminds me of Mike Cox. Like, I love Mike and Linda. If you don't know Mike and Linda, you should know Mike and Linda. Mike had this procedure done, a, a, I don't know if it was a month or so ago now with his heart, and he had to go in, and I remember waiting in the waiting room, and, and he was talking about how, you know what, when, when I'm following Jesus, all this stuff doesn't matter. See, that's the reality of when, when we fear the right things, when we fear and follow God rightly. It, it's like Paul, who, who Paul, he, he goes out and, and people are saying, he says, to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. People said, Paul, stop preaching. We're going we're gonna to throw you in prison. And Paul's like, fine, I'll preach to your guards, and they'll come to know Jesus. And they're like, oh, well, well, we'll let you go then. Well, great, I'll keep planting churches and tell people about Jesus. Well, we'll kill you. Amen. Praise God, because I get to go home. What do you do with a person like that? See, the reality is, when we put our fear in the right place, storms are going to keep coming, and there are times where Jesus is going to calm the storms of our life. But there's times when he doesn't, but the reality is, our fear isn't in the storm. Our faith, our hope isn't in our situations. It's not in those things. It's in Jesus Christ and we can be properly aligned with him. So if you, if you haven't done that this morning, or if you're putting weight in the wrong things, don't leave this place without submitting your life to the Lord of hosts who is for us and who desires relationship with us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much, God, for your goodness and your mercy. I praise you, God, that, that we, we, can stand in awe of you because you are awesome. I praise you, God, that you, that you are for us like Drew's dad. God, you are going to destroy the wrong things. And yet, if, if we are on the dog's team, we're in trouble, but we're not. Those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are, we are aligned with you. You are our Father. And those of us here this morning, God, those, those here who have not done that, God, I pray that you would just lay conviction on their hearts. God, help them to see the reality that, that you are for them, that you desire a relationship with them, but if they stay in, in their pride and, and seeing you as insignificant, then God, they are, they are in opposition to you. And God, I pray that you, nobody would leave this place without putting their trust in you if they haven't already. Help us, God, to put 
our faith in the right things, wait in the right things. It's in your name. Amen.